So we're at lesson number 25 in our chronological journey through the Gospels. But for the last couple of weeks and then uh, for a few weeks more, we're going to be here in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 because Matthew has given us, recorded for us, Jesus and his teaching that we know of as the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, we begin the second of three chapters that Matthew has recorded for us here in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18 this morning. And we've already learned in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and his teaching on the Beatitudes. And then following that, for two weeks, we began looking at the importance of our being salt and light in this world, how our righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the religious rulers, uh, Jesus talking to the religious rulers of his day, but that still stands to this day. The importance of our vertical and horizontal worship, vertical relationships uh, with God, our horizontal relationships with others. And learning about sin being an issue of the heart, talking about the sanctity of marriage and of Jesus warning us not to take oaths or that we should go the second mile, that we should love our enemies. And today, Jesus, in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches about giving, about prayer, and about fasting. And so of Matthew chapter 6, I only want to concentrate on these 18 verses that deal with our charity, prayer, and fasting. And so today, we have a message that I've titled, Charity, Prayer, and Fasting, from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. And we're going to see our conduct when doing charitable deeds, verses 1 through 4, our conduct when praying, verses 5 through 15, and our conduct when fasting, verses 16 through 18. And I'm going to open up by reading verses 1 through 4, our first point, our conduct when doing charitable deeds. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they might, be, they might have glory from men. Surely, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So doing good works, and we are to do good works for others in this life, especially as Christians. And this is something that uh, through missionary work, through the work in churches. We find it in the United States and places throughout the world that Christians have been at the forefront of building hospitals to help those who are sick, to bring education into the foreign lands, not only to teach of Jesus Christ and the salvation that's afforded through his name, but also just to raise up nations in learning, doing good works is something that has been associated with the church since Christ walked upon this earth. But the Lord begins by giving a warning in verses 1 and 2. The things we're not to do when doing charitable deeds before men. So you do charitable deeds, you're always going to, for the most part, do them before others. But when you're doing those things, don't do it to be seen by them for the sole purpose of to be seen by others. Jesus said, if that's how you do your charitable deeds, then you already had your reward. If you only want to be seen doing good works by others, then when others see you doing good works, that's the reward. That's all you're going to get out of it. I remember a pastor many years ago talking about when he wasn't a pastor of a church but attached himself to a church 
and he had learned that the Board of Elders was going to be meeting on a specific Saturday of a month, and so he decided that he wanted to be seen by the Board of Elders of what a good servant he was. So in a southern climate where the heat is sometimes very hot, reaching 100 plus, he decided that during the board meeting, he'd be out in the parking lot sweeping the parking lot. There he was with the push broom, sweating and sweeping to be seen by others. What he didn't know is that they moved the location of the meeting and they weren't there to see him doing the good works that he thought he would get some points for. And all he got was sweat. Nobody saw him doing that. And he had the wrong heart attitude anyways. We're not to do that. In verse 2, don't sound a trumpet before others like the hypocrites do. They either stand in the synagogues or in the streets that they would have their glory from men. So this word translated as charitable deeds in our text, it's the same word that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 1.30, where there it's translated as righteousness, where Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, same Greek word used here, translated as charitable deed. Jesus Christ became righteousness for us, sanctification and redemption. So this word, when speaking about our doing charitable deeds, our doing good works, it uh, originally in the Old English was spelled Right wiseness. When they translated this Greek word into English, right wiseness. It gives a sense of the word itself. It refers from our perspective of someone doing their religious duties, uh, distinguishing themselves in their almsgiving, and their duty to help others, to help his neighbor. So when doing acts of kindness, the warning is we're not to be like the hypocrites. We're not to... Uh, in the synagogues, in the church of Jesus' day. So we're not to be seen in our churches and doing these charitable deeds or on the street com- corners. We're not to be sounding trumpets. We're not to make a big show of it. If that's what you want to do to be seen by others, then you have your reward. You get your glory from others. It's what the hypocrites do. They're seeking the applause of others. And they limit their reward to this side of heaven. In Luke 16, 15, Jesus said, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. God has a total different perspective of things. So we want to find the heart of God. And it's not that we are not to do good works. He said, when you do your charitable deeds before others, when doing good works, you're often doing those things before others. But it's the heart attitude that we're supposed to have while we're doing those things. We're to maintain humility when serving others. Whether we receive a reward this side of heaven or not, with the right humble heart, God sees sometimes he may reward us openly this side of heaven. Others may see that we may get rewarded by that. But ultimately, God sees. And from him, we seek our reward. So Jesus said the instructions of how we are to do good works. When you do your charitable deed, verses 3 and 4, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. All right. Jesus gave us an impossibility. Never in my life have I had one hand just start going wild. And it's like, I wonder what my left hand's up to today. <laughs> you know, it, you can't do that, right? Your mind is working. If you're using your hands, your mind is guiding. Both hands can be doing different things. 
When playing a guitar, I'm courting with my left hand, strumming or plucking with my right hand. They're doing different things. They're working in, hopefully, in harmony together to get a chord out, to get some notes out. But, you know, the mind's kind of guiding that, working them together. But really, the Lord gave us an impossibility in this example. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. To talk about the importance of our heart attitude when serving others. That we have such a hard attitude that all we need to know is God sees and God will be our reward. So sometimes when doing good works, when doing these charitable deeds, we might be able to remain anonymous. We might be able to give a gift to someone, maybe through the church. We take a special offering for a family that has need and we get a offering envelope that simply has the name of the family on there. We usually do an announcement if we're going to do something like this. And all it has is cash in it. We don't know who gives. God knows. But that money comes in through the church, goes to the individual. But God knows. Sometimes it's through supporting uh, orphans in a third world country. While living in the United States, we might use ministries like Far-Reaching Ministries, Samaritan's Purse, or Harmony Outreach, a few of those ministries that we have been associated with here at the church. Sometimes you might be able to go on a short-term missionary trip to minister in person. If you go on the trip and the people back home know you're gone, And the people where you're going to visit know you're there. They're seeing the works that you're doing, but it's the attitude of the heart. While doing these things, this side of heaven, we are not to expect earthly rewards, though they may come. We are to serve others, and if while serving others, God rewards us openly, then so be it. But we are to give thanks to Him for the ministry that He has given us to do. Paul talks about men's sins versus the good works of others in 1 Timothy 5, verses 24 and 25. He talks about men's sins and then the good works of others. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. So some men's sins are clearly evident. They get judged while on this earth. Others seemingly while on this earth get away with it, but they're going to stand before God one day. And there they will not get away with it. That's verse 24. Talking about sins. Some is clearly seen. Some will be revealed later at the white throne judgment of God. But likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. So some are clearly evident. Sometimes you can tell when people are helping and serving others, even as a church body. But ultimately, God gives that reward. Billy Graham once said, God has given us two hands, one to receive with, the other to give with. And when doing charitable deeds, may we always look to God for our reward. Now our conduct when praying, verses verses 5 through 15. Let's just look at the first portion of this, not get into the Lord's Prayer yet. But we begin in verse 5 with the warning. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. You know, every time I've read this passage in preparation for this message, I'm reminded when we were in Israel and we were in the old city and we spent five days in and out of the old city and um, that was kind of at the end of the tour where even by that point, the tour guide says, hey, if you want to go into the city with yourself, initially he took us, and then we have freedom. We could take a taxi in. He told us how to get a taxi, 
how much we should pay for the taxi, how to barter with the taxi driver to force him to make sure he turns the meter on that he doesn't rip you off. He taught us everything we needed to know to get a ride into the city. And as we went in, I kept seeing this one guy, a Jewish man, praying publicly on the street, had some kind of tassel that he had and held in his hand, and he had a place for gifts and offerings to be given to him, not to God, while he was praying. He was praying publicly. They still do it. Jesus saw these examples and gave an example of what not to do. In Israel, you may still see this very thing happening in the streets of Jerusalem. I saw it. I witnessed it. And it's what Jesus said that we are not to do. For they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. And I say to you, they have their reward. So don't be like the hypocrites. It speaks about someone who's a counterfeit, someone who puts a mask on. Uh, Originally, it was someone who disfigures their face. And the Lord will actually say that about the fasting, that they disfigure their face. They want people to know what they're going through for Jesus or for God. And so originally when stage actors would act, they would put on these mechanical masks. It would help them to project their voice uh, in the theaters there, but also it would help them to change characters in in a moment's notice. They could put a different cloak on, put a different mask on. That mechanical mask helped to project their voice. But this is the sense of that Greek word that became known as hypocrites. And sadly, those who love to stand praying in public, often they rarely pray in private. And those who rarely pray in private should have no right to pray in public. On the other hand, you know, it's not wrong to pray in public. I love to come together with the church body to pray together, to lift up our voices and uh, the needs that we may have. Sometimes special times that we have where we just take time to worship and to pray. These are great things for the body of Christ to come together and do. Sometimes it helps others to learn how to pray. But... We come together that we might learn, strengthen, and support one another in this life. The corporate prayer time should be evidence of our desire for Jesus Christ to be among us, to watch over us, to guide us, to bless us in our lives. And the Word does say, I'm going to apply it here, although when we get to Matthew 18, we're going to learn that Matthew 18, 20, I'm going to apply it here. Where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there also in the midst. When you get to Matthew 18, you find the context of the pastor. Pastor. Context of the passage is speaking about conflict resolution. When a couple of people are mad at each other and they come together, kind of resolve that thing. When two or more are there in my name, I am there with you. But we like to use it in other applications, which I believe are totally true. When the church body is gathered together, Jesus is among us. And as individuals, may we commit to sharpening our prayer lives corporately and privately in our homes that it might spread into our community. Ian Bounds said, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better or new organizations or more or novel methods. So if Ian Bounds, he lived from 1835 to 1913. He already seen the method of churches. Today, he would perhaps say what a church, what the church needs today is not more web pages or social media likes. But the outcome is the same. But men, and I'll add women, men and women whom the Holy Ghost can use, men and women of prayer, men and women mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, 
but through men and women, does not come on machinery, but through men and women, does not anoint plans, but men and women of prayer. What the church needs today is men and women of prayer. So the instruction, Jesus said in verses 6 through 8, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard by their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. So the instruction before he gets to the Lord prayer He says, when we pray, we're to go to that secret place. We're to be seen by the Father who sees and hears us in secret. And if he chooses to, will reward us openly. Whether praying publicly or privately, we're not to repeat the same thing over and over again. And I think we can be guilty of this. The example that the Lord gives us in a moment, we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 15 and technically 9 through 13 the lord's prayer that could be an example of vain repetition if when we pray all we do is out of just a mechanical reflex pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name and it has no more meaning than that it's just something that we do the lord's prayer is to be a guide as the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, is to be a guide to help us in how to pray to the Lord. But even that can become a vain repetition if we don't do it with a sincere heart. When we pray, we must remember that the Heavenly Father already knows all the things that we want or need. And we might ask them, why pray? If God knows everything we want or need, Why then pray? Because I believe that through prayer, our will is being conformed to his will. It's not about trying to get God to answer our prayers in the sense of God is that big genie in the sky that will grant the three wishes if we pray the proper way. It is really about how our will is conformed to the will of God. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Luke 22, 42, he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The will of Christ was, Father, if there's any other way that the redemption of humanity might be accomplished apart from me going to the cross, then let it be done. But if not then your will be done. That tells us that the will of Christ was in his humanity. If I can avoid death on the cross for the redemption of mankind, then Lord, do it another way. But the Lord Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. That was the way for Christ to go to the cross. Jesus often in the Gospels, we read about him going to that secret place. In Mark 6:46, when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Luke 5:16, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. In the craziness of this world, it might be wise for us to follow the example of Jesus to find that secluded place to pray that we might renew our strength. Isaiah 40, 31, and what a great voice, uh, verse, Isaiah 40, 31, great verse of scripture, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up on wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Abraham Lincoln said of the will of God and of prayer, I know that the Lord is always on the side of the right. It is my constant anxiety and prayer 
that I and this nation may be on the Lord's side. If we had a presidents today who would be concerned with being on the Lord's side. Let me read that again. I, what a great quote. I know that the Lord is always on the side of rights, but it is my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation may be on the Lord's side. We could even take that to the church, that I and this church would be on the Lord's side, that I and this community would be on the Lord's side. Do we have an anxiety about that? A concern, a worry that we're on the Lord's side? So how to pray? Jesus laid out this simple but profound prayer. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. And instead of praying through it quickly, we're going to sing it as we close our service today. I just want to break it down, but I'm not going to go in depth on this. But I learned many years ago, I believe when I was in my 20s, so many years ago, that just don't take it in one quick, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. How fast can you say the Lord's Prayer? Don't do a speed prayer on it, but slow it down and think through each portion of the prayer. So when you come to our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Pause for a moment. Concentrate on those words and pray about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Slow it down. Think about God being hallowed and holy. Think about the kingdom of God and his will being done upon this earth and in our lives. So as we begin, Jesus said, verses 9 and 10, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will already is done in heaven. Now asking that God's will would be done upon this earth. Our prayers should be directed upward toward God, toward God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in reverence toward Him, that His kingdom, both in heaven and on the earth, would be done. So spend time worshiping the Lord. Begin in worship. Secondly, our prayers should be daily. In verse 11, and the Lord said, give us this day our daily bread. Now, just as we need food and water to sustain our physical health, we also need to have this daily interaction with the Lord to sustain our spiritual health as well. Thus, give us this day our daily bread. We can pray that. Lord, bring provision into this house. Give us breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And when we get those things, thank the Lord for the meal. There's something, I've shared this before, but I grew up praying before we eat dinner. It's just something my parents taught their children that Lily and I brought into our marriage. We even... Uh, at some point, I don't know when, started holding hands when we pray. And even uh, out of habit with our family at the Christmas Eve ser uh, service, we have our family over at Christmas Eve. I usually make pizzas. One of my nephews good at it. If he's in the area, he'll come and help make pizza. But this last year, for the first time, I guess, we ju I just put my hands out. Lily and all the Kevin, Melissa, and their children, and now our growing family, we're all linked up, and everybody else is like, look, what's going on here? It's like, oh, we're about to pray. In the circle. But I've also seen it in a different way. I've watched people. We were a belated birthday meal, Lily, like, where would you like to go? Um, we went out to, I haven't had a steak in a long time, went to a steak restaurant, and I was watching 
a family uh, next to our table getting served. And as soon as the plate was down, the woman had the food and was jamming it in her mouth. They haven't even set all the dishes on the table yet. And she's eating. She must have been really hungry. Then I noticed when her husband got his plate down, she was grabbing food off of his plate. So that was just weird in itself. She couldn't even wait for his plate to get on the table before she started eating from that. But I like pausing in prayer. You know, after restaurants reopened and the girls were at, uh, I believe they must have been at the women's retreat, so it was in the fall. So it just became habit for me to grab the grandsons and Kevin and go out for dinner because I don't want to cook for myself. I can, but why not take the boys out for dinner? And so we went out for dinner and uh, Kevin, three grandsons, myself. The waitress finally came. It was a long wait for the food. Finally set the plates down. She went to go refill our drinks. And as she was coming back, we were linked up. Five guys in a restaurant. That's not what guys do in a restaurant. And we prayed said amen, and she said, that is what our country needs right now. She just stood and watched as we prayed and asked God to bless our food and our family. And she was just blessed by it herself. I have one pastor that I've had lunch with him, and when the waitress comes and brings the food and she sets it down or he sets it down, the waiter, depending on the circumstance, the pastor will say, you know what? We're about to ask God to bless this food. Is there anything that we can pray for you for? And he invites the prayer need of that waiter or waitress right into that prayer meeting, gives them an opportunity. And quite often they say, why, yes, you can pray for this. And they'll share the prayer request. It's a way to be a witness, a testimony. But it's not just praying over the meal. And that whole thing, I think there's respect for waiting. I think we should ask God to bless the food before we eat it, but I also think there's a bit of respect for the ones who cook the meal, often a mom or a dad, the family sitting down together, and just together we consume this. And, and I think we kind of miss that when we just like, plates down, let's start eating. Let's wait a moment, let's pause and bless God. And be that example for others. But also, there's a spiritual lesson in this as well. We need God to daily bless us spiritually as well. Third, in verse 12, and also 14 and 15, our prayers should seek God's forgiveness and cause others, cause us to forgive others. So the third point of his prayer, if you break it down into sections, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I find this interesting because often I begin with my prayer with God, Father, please forgive me. Skip the worship. Skip the blessing. Let's go right to forgiveness. And it's backwards. In my mind, I guess my humanity, I'm thinking, Lord, I can't even pray unless you forgive me first. And Jesus said, let's begin in worship. Forgiveness will come. But let's begin in worship first. You might even not know yet what you need to ask apart from worshiping God. So I find it interesting because we have a habit, I have a habit at least, seek forgiveness first. How can I pray if I don't have that forgiveness? Well, you can. Forgiveness will come. But it's not just God forgiving us, us forgiving others. This is the only part of the prayer that Jesus made commentary on. Verses 14 and 15, he says, for if, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So again, to have a right relationship with God, a vertical relationship with God, we need to think about those horizontal relationships with others. And then we should seek God's protection. In verse 13, 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Daily we should be seeking for God's protection from the various temptations in this life, including the evil one, Satan, who desires to keep us from Jesus, to rule over our lives, and to destroy us. And our prayer should end in praise. You begin in adoration. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And you end... Your kingdom come, the second half of verse 13. Your kingdom come. Your, ha. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We end in praise. We are to direct our prayer toward the one who not only hears our petitions, but is able to answer our pleas. We are to direct our prayers to God. So when you pray, so the word here, I just want to concentrate on forgive us our debts, verse 12, just for a moment, as we forgive our debtors. That Greek word for forgive, it's a, a phemi is the Greek word. It means to send forth. So the Greek word is a phemi. And it's translated here as forgive. But I like this. This comes from the complete word study dictionary. But they said of this Greek word ephemi, it means to, to let go from one's power. See, sometimes if... We hold on to something. Sometimes, sometimes someone will have something over us. We choose not to forgive them. We hold this grudge. We hold it in. And in reality, they might have power over you because they're holding whatever the situation is over you. A femi, to let go of one's power. When you forgive that person, perhaps from our perspective, from a human place they don't need our forgiveness but the lord says heavenly father is not going to forgive you unless you forgive those who have trespassed against you because if we don't forgive those on that horizontal plane it might be that that grudge that we're holding against them they're actually holding power over us power in a sense that's hindering our relationship with god and others so we need to forgive to let go of one's power of sins to remit the penalty of sin to pardon and forgive. So we have this ability to pardon and forgive others. God has the ability, no doubt, to pardon and forgive us ourselves. Whether I speak about human or divine forgiveness, it refers to this release of a debt. And there's freedom in that release. Therefore, when seeking forgiveness from those who have trespassed against us, it means that we must be willing sometimes to put down our pride. And on the other hand, it could be that those who have wronged us, trespassed against us, maybe we offer forgiveness. Maybe that forgiveness won't be received, but we've done our part. These things can hinder our relationship with God and others, so we really need to consider, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Jesus' commentary on this. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive, so remember, aphemi, the Greek word, let go of that one's power. If you do not forgive, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. In his sermon, Jesus had already emphasized in Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, when you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So when we seek God's forgiveness, we must also seek the forgiveness of others. To have a right relationship with others, we need to have a right relationship with God. Ephesians 4.32, Paul put it this way, be kindly, be kind, I think kindly was the old King James, 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you. Andrew Murray, a Christian minister and author that ministered in South Africa for many years, wrote a lot of little books and booklets. When speaking about the Lord's Prayer, this is how he summed up verses 9 through 13. So this is what Andrew Murray noticed about this. First, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. Then give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Then he said, the lesson of this is more important than we think. More important than we think. He did say importance, but... In true worship, the Father must be first, must be all. Thy will, thy kingdom, thy name. And then forgive us, lead us, deliver us, and give us. So when praying, we must trust that God will do, always do what is right. We may not always understand it, but we need to know that God is going to do right. So we close out in verses 16 through 18, our conduct when fasting. The warning in verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. They disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely, I say, they have their reward. So we have already mentioned the Greek word translated as hypocrite here speaks about an actor, a pretender, one who disfigures his face. And people might do that when they're fasting. They may let you know that they are fasting. Oh, I'm so hungry. Why are you hungry, John? Well, I've been fasting. I haven't eaten in five weeks. And, you know, I'm about ready to die. But feel sorry. For, I've never fasted for five weeks. Five days, but not five weeks. Um You're not to be like the hypocrites. If they want to be noticed by others, that's what they get. Zechariah, in fact. So we do a five-day fast right right before Easter. We close it out on Good Friday. So I'm going to read a passage from Zechariah 7, verses 4 and 5. Think about this with our five-day fast. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, once they came out of the Babylonian captivity, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, say to all the people of the land and to the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me, for me? I checked it today. It actually does say, for me, twice. Emphasis on this. So the whole time that they were in the 70 years of captivity, they held a fast in the fifth and seventh month. And I think even after the captivity, they were still fasting. And now they're out of the captivity. They're still doing the fast. And the Lord asked, were you really doing that for me? For me? So think about that. We could read it this way. When the Lord of hosts came to Pastor John, saying, Say to all the people of Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa and to the preachers there, when you fast and mourn right before Easter, during the 30 years that you have been to church. We haven't been fasting that long. That's with me. During the 23 years that Pastor John's been pastoring, did you really fast for me? For me? It talks about the hard attitude. They did the fast, but what was the motive of the fast? It had become habitual. It was no longer heartfelt. It was concerning this destruction of Jerusalem and their temple and the captivity of their people and their release. And now that they've been released, they're still doing it. They're carrying on the fast out of tradition. 
And for many, they were doing it to be seen by others. And that, Jesus said, you have your reward. Harry Ironside, he once pastored Moody Bible Church in Chicago many years ago. He once said, if we would, we would worry less if we would praise more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. We would worry less if we praised more. So the instruction, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but your father who sees in the secret place, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The charity, the prayers, the fasting, the conclusion is all the same. The father who sees in the secret place will reward you openly, but it's not to be the motive of our heart that we'd have that open reward. When we fast, we're to put oil on. When they anointed with oil, they would, it's like, John, haven't you washed your hair in like a month? It's so oily. No, it's the anointing, man. I was anointed. It dripped down over my head, down on my clothes. And they were to look like that. To be anointed was a celebration. They were not to appear to be fasting. They were to comb their hair, wash their face, put a smile on their face. Yes, I'm starving, but you don't need to know that. <laughs> and the Bible does in the book of Acts, Cornelius, Acts 10.30. Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. In the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. That was going to be the catalyst that brought salvation to the Gentiles. And it was a Gentile who was fasting unto God that helped to bring about that catalyst. The book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, so five men are named in this passage, the leaders of the church gathered together, fasting and praying together. As they were fasting and praying, Acts 13, verse 2, the Spirit said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul. They were part of that group, of the group of five. Barnabas and Saul were there. Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. That began the first missionary work, but it came out of fasting in the time of prayer. Acts 14.23, on that first missionary journey, after they, uh, he said, so we had appointed elders in every church, Acts 14.23, and prayed and with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they're getting ready to go back to Antioch the missionary journey is over, but before they left, they stopped to pray. They spent time in fasting. They commended the elders of the churches that had just been founded into the hands of God. And then 1 Corinthians 7, 5, when even husbands and wives do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself over to fasting and prayer, that you may give yourself over to fasting and prayer. Even in our marital relationships, really setting aside that God is first, God is first. We need to know that. But there are times where we, through fasting and prayer, spend time seeking God as a couple. So fasting, although it can be difficult, it is a good spiritual discipline when it's done with the right heart attitude. It is a time of starving the flesh that you might feed the spirit. The founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, Pastor Chuck Smith, said, if we would feed the physical man like you feed the spiritual man, you'd probably be dead. When we fast, 
We're not to act as if we are, knowing that God sees. So whether doing charitable deeds, praying or fasting, is to have this kind of attitude, Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, do heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that the Lord will receive, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. So it's my hope that first and foremost that you have realized that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and that you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Without Christ, there's no charitable deed, no prayer, no fasting that we could do that would amount to anything of heavenly rewards. It all begins with Jesus. These rewards can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and stand together. Instead of closing in prayer, like I'd normally do at this point right now, and the worship team coming up and uh, singing one last song, and I'll just say if you have a prayer need, just grab hold of Pastor Kevin or myself and uh, we'll pray for you for whatever need you might have. But I'd like to close out singing the Lord's Prayer. Seems appropriate to me. So let's pray what we're going to sing. Our Father, which art in heaven, how will it be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.